It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Yes, welcome back to the Kick to Kick podcast. This is the second half of the 1971 episode. Yes. Charlie, today we are focusing on the, the finalists. The finalists, so the top four. The top four. And then the finals, of course. Yes. Um, last episode we went through 12th to 5th, as well as the night series sponsored yep, by... The Heinz Big Red night series, Great. of course. Yes. Um, so can you give us a quick recap of uh, the ladder positions I would thus far? Absolutely love to. So Wooden Spooners, South <laughs> Melbourne... Uh, 11th was Essendon, 10th Geelong, 9th North Melbourne, 8th Footscray, 7th Melbourne, 6th Fitzroy, and 5th spot we had Carlton. So that brings us into the number 4 spot, squeaking into the finals with 14 wins, 1 draw, and 7 losses. So only 2 points ahead of 5th spot, as we spoke about last time, is Collingwood. Yes, the mighty magpies themselves. Yes, so um, coached by Bob Rose in his final year in charge of the pies and uh, captained by Terry Waters and Wayne Richardson. Yes, it was... uh, Yes, and we'll talk about why as well. Um, Some debutants, we had uh, Mike Delahunty, Henry Coles, and also in his second season, he played one game last season, Gary Treadray, father of Warren. I never realised he played. He, his father played in VFL. No, neither did I. Yeah. Um, now, Peter McKenna released two songs in 1972. He was a bit of a pop star. Okay. He was uh, he was an out there character. He released released two pop songs. So what we might do while we're talking about Collingwood is play them over the back. <laughs> so you can hear, you can, you'll be able to hear Peter McKenna in the background singing. Um, pre-season coach Bob Rose pleaded with the committee to reinstate Des Tudnam as captain, uh, but the committee refused. Still, obviously, bitter about the payment demands from 1970. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, this didn't really affect Desi though, as well. As well. He round one, Collingwood played at home to Footscray again. Uh, things started well. They kicked 11-3 in the opening quarter. 11-3 in the opening quarter. Yes. Uh, Dead, Dead Tud- uh, Des Tudnam was among the goal kickers throughout the game with nine. Final margin was 83 points. Tudnam was one of two Collingwood players who had over 40 touches for the day. The other being Wayne Richardson. What an absolute show. Phenomenal. Uh, in round two, Peter McKenna kicked nine goals, two to lead the, to- lead the Pies to an easy win over the Tigers. Max Richardson and Des Tudnam did all they could to try to beat the Bombers in round three, but had to settle for a draw. Then after beating Fitzroy North, they were technically unbeaten, and they took on their enemy of the 50s and 60s, Demons. Mighty Demons. Yes. In round six, with top spot on the line. Oh yeah, of course. Undefeated. Starting well, yeah. Over 80,000 people turned up to see a strong Collingwood team rip through the Demons' defence with a six-goal burst in the first and second quarters. Uh, Dud- uh, McKenna kicked 10. Tudnam had 41 disposals as the Pies won by 55 points. Then the following week, John Greening had 50 disposals against Geelong, 30 kicks and 20 handballs. He led the Pies to a big win over the Cats. Oh my God. It's huge. Yeah, but then they lost to the Saints. Uh, cruised to a win over South before they lost to the Hot Hawks. Come round 11, though, was the rematch they were looking forward to. Their chance to get some revenge from 1970. They played at Carlton. 
And they got some revenge, bolting to a 69-point lead at halftime and kept adding to it in the third quarter before the Blues regained a little respect, adding seven goals in the last quarter. The eventual margin, though, was 85 points. Uh, Magpie Graham Jerk Jenkins was the star with 29 hitouts, 26 disposals, while Rain Richardson again racked up a lazy 45 disposals and a goal. Huge. Yeah, these Huge numbers are numbers. Uh, they were embarrassed by Footscray the next week, but they righted the ship with a strong win over the Tigers by 40 in round 13. McKenna with another 10. Also in the match, four players were reported after a, um, after a brawl which involved Royce Hart, who was felled at the end of the first quarter. Um, because of this, the Tigers were ferocious and playing the man, whereas the Pies went forward and just played business, you know, and played, played football, played the ball and won easily in it the end. It always happens. Yeah. Round 14, they took on the Bombers at Victoria Park and it's going to pay me to talk about this. <laughs> Destroyed them. <laughs> at one stage, they were threatening the league's scoring record, but probably focused hev- too heavily on kicking it to McKenna, who finished with 12 goals. The Pies kicked 5, 8, 10 and 7 goals across the four quarters. They won by a massive 147 points. So what was their score? 30 goals, 20, 200. Their biggest ever score and margin, winning margin. Tuddy had another blinder, kicking 40 goals and 40 possessions. Wayne Richardson had 47 disposals. This is unbelievable. Yeah, isn't it? Round 15, the Pies had 7 less scoring shots than the Lions, but still managed to win by 18 points. Uh, Lions were much better but they couldn't get the job done. Um, of more interest here was whether Peter, Peter McKenna could kick his second tally of 100 goals. Uh, but with three in the first and three in the second, he brought up his 100th goal just before halftime and was promptly swamped by the fans. Of course. As is now the, the uh, tradition. Yeah, tradition. Further wins over North and the Demons had them on track for a top two finish. However, they blew a 20 point lead in the final quarter to lose to, Belo- to, to, lose to Geelong. They blew another lead against the Saints at Waverley, and in this game, Captain Terry Waters was shattered to be taken from the field. He was dragged against the Kilda, describing it as the greatest insult of his career. A few days later, he resigned the captaincy and didn't play again that year, uh, which is why Rain, Wayne Richardson took over the captaincy. Wow. Hmm. Um, with a lot of people still thinking, like, the form Des Tuttenham's in, why isn't, why he, isn't captain? he captain? Yeah. yeah. Well, the form is, but obviously Richo. Well, Richo's still the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, McKenna kicked 8-8 to restore some confidence against South Melbourne in round 20. But they lost their final two games, which included a loss to Hawthorne and then a very familiar feeling against Carlton in round 22, where they were up by seven goals and were again beaten, which we talked about last episode. Yes, we did. So that's Collingwood, uh, kind of limping into the finals here after a massive first half of the season. Yeah. Yeah, very uh, very interesting year from them and a few absolute superstar performances performances and consistently throughout the whole year as well yeah so obviously Collingwood's lead goal kicker was Peter McKenna with 134 that's across the season including finals yes uh and the Copeland Trophy in 1971 went to Wayne Richardson uh not surprising no no although it would have been would be interesting to see where Tuddy finished up in that as well so Yeah. yeah and McKenna kicking 130 odd goals yeah exactly yeah, that's a, that's a lot of talent in that team. Amazing that they only just get scraped four as well. Yeah. Well, they were top two until the last few weeks. Yeah. They only won one of their last five games. Unbelievable. So that uh, takes us up to third spot on the ladder where rest the Mighty Tigers with 16 wins and six losses and a percentage of 122.6. So this year, uh, coached by Tommy Hafey, of course, 
and captained by Roger Dean again for the fourth year. Yes, so some debutantes were Bill Beckwith, Colin Greenslade and Michael Noonan. But the biggest story pre-season was the trade of uh, Bill Barrett for Ian yes, Stewart. which we spoke about, yeah. We kind of brushed over. Let's yes. talk about it properly now, yes, though. Yes, please. So, the seeds were planted by Ian Stewart early on at the end of 1970. He was, pre- he was sick of Alan Jeans and his coaching style. Um, so he encouraged St Kilda president Billy Cubbins to lure Billy Barrett across for St Kilda. At the same time this was happening, Stewart went to WA on the pretense of wanting to coach over there. Okay. So which got St Kilda used to the idea of, oh, Stewart's probably going to leave. Um, this got them more enthusiastic about getting Bill Barrett. And so when Bill Barrett announced his intentions to head to St Kilda, Ian Stewart's name was thrown up in a trade for the, at the last moment. Everything worked out well with most thinking St Kilda got the better end of the deal here. Really? Yeah. Well, Stuart was he hadn't had hadn't played consistently. He was in, a little bit injured. He's a two-time Brownlow two Brown medalist. Two-time Brownlow medalist. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of like, oh, he was going to leave anyway. Let's get yeah, rid of him. Fair, so, well, fair enough. So Ian Stewart, this this is all from um, an interview in Rhett Bartlett's book that he was kind of playing the Saints here and, and really manipulated them so he could get to Richmond. Yeah. Okay. But well, yeah. Good on him. Yes, um, but we'll hear this and kill the side of this when we get to uh, the Saints. Yes. So round one, the, Sa- the Tigers started with a bang, claiming a big win with a nine-goal second quarter, seeing them win by 51 points. Um, they were playing. Who were they playing, Charlie? In round one. Yes. They were playing Fitzroy. Ah. Um, Bartlett kicked six, four in the third quarter alone. Hart and Brown, four each. New recruit Brian Roberts, also nicknamed the Whale, was impressive. Round three, the Tigers played the Saints in a low-scoring affair at Waverley. With the prospect of Barrett and Stewart playing against each other, there was lots of interest in this game, but only for Barrett to be uh, to not be named in the Saints team. Oh. The Saints were held to three points in the first quarter, and this was kind of what was helped win the game for the Tigers in the end. Um, Ian Stewart was subjected to some pretty physical treatment by his ex-teammates during this game, which led him to having a bit of a chip on his shoulder for the, about the Saints for quite a while. Okay, yeah. Because he thought, you know, they're all mates of mine. I should, you know, they should, shouldn't be doing that. But they were obviously a bit bitter. That he left. Yeah. Yep. Uh, round four, they took on the Saints and were dominant. They won by 94 points. Round six, they took on North. And after a first quarter that was pretty close, the Richmond followers of Mike Green, Ray Boyanich and Rex Hunt got on top. And there was little LaRouge could do to stay in the game. Richmond's high marking, its fast play on style and natural strength started to tell as they piled on seven and six goals in the last two quarters to win by 62. Round seven. In a loss to Hawthorne at Glen Ferry, Francis Burke unwittingly broke a bone in his leg, but continued to play until the extent of his injury was actually realised. Then he managed to walk off the ground. The injury was serious enough to keep him off the field for the next nine weeks, um, and this became part of the legend of Francis Burke. Playing think, with a broken leg. Yeah, and it might, I think it might have been referenced in that ad with Stephen Curry. Oh, yep, yep. The uh, Toyota Legends ads. Yeah, amazing. In round eight at the MCG, Carlton and Richmond could barely be separated for three quarters, with Carlton four points up at three-quarter time. But the last quarter was like the 1969 grand final, as Richmond piled on eight goals nine to the Blues' three points. The brilliance that was provided hurts. by... Jeez, that stings. Ian Stewart in the centre, Royce Hart at centre-half forward, and Wale Roberts... Uh, and Roy ba- uh, Barvenich in the ruck. Bartlett, Hart and Sh- Sherpig all kicked four. Uh, at Waverley in round nine against the Bombers, the Tigers started with blistering form, kicking 8-2 to 1-2. So they're obviously having devastating periods yeah. where they, just, they shut the game down. Turn it on. And that was the opening quarter. The Dons came back and got within 10 points, and it took Royce Hart 
uh, to take a you know take a big mark and kick a goal to steady the side. Ian Stewart was great. Uh, Bartlett kicked three three. Neil Baum five goals one. Then they beat the D's by thirty one. In round eleven, Kevin Bartlett was the star against the Cats. Seventeen disposals and five goals three. Um, the Cats led Richmond by four points at half time, but the Tigers piled on goals. Uh, actually, piled on fourteen goals in the second half to run out fifty point winners. From round 13, Barry Richardson was moved to full forward, and through the first 12 goals, he'd kicked a total of two. Through the first 12 rounds? Yes. Sorry, he kicked two goals. Two goals for the first 12 rounds. Unbelievable. We'll hear more about him. He kicked six against the Pies in a loss, but impressed enough to make full forward his position for the rest of the year. The following week against St Kilda, it was the form of highly prized South Australian recruit Craig McKellar that gave them a real lift in the ruck for their third win in a row. They saw them come from five goals down at three-quarter time to record their second-ever win at Moorabbin, this one by three points. Uh, round 15, they expected an easy win over the Swans, um, but they kind of went in playing very easy, bruise-free football. Um, and five minutes before the final siren, Swan Stephen Hoffman kicked the goal to put the Swans a point ahead. And it took some more Royce Hart brilliance, pulling down some brilliant marks to get the Tigers back in front. They eventually won by 11. Nice. Nice. Yes, round 17, the Tigers kept the ruse in the game for the first quarter. Then they hit the accelerator, kicking 8-7 and 7 goals in the last three quarters to run out 90-point winners. KB the star here with 30 disposals, but an inaccurate one goal four. Royce Hart added six, Barry Richardson five. Round 18 was the greatest test of the Tigers, coming up against the Red Hot Hawks. 47,000 people turned up at the G to watch the game, and Tommy Hafey decided he wanted to, the Tigers to play their own natural game. Um, long, long kicking, run on, striving to outscore the Hawks, not wanting to get dragged into their style of yep, play. Yep. Um, and they took it right up to the Hawks and ran away with it in the last quarter. Uh, ended up winning that game quite comfortably. Roger Dean and Barry Richardson with four each. Dick Clay probably best on ground. Round 19, another match against Carlton at Prince's Park. Royce Hart starred for the Tigers in what was a close game early on. The score's never more than a couple of goals difference. At the start of the last quarter, the Tigers kicked five goals in ten minutes to steal the game, uh, which was followed by a violent rainstorm that all but washed Carlton's chances down the drain. Yeah. I guess it's the weather I get in Carlton this year. Yeah. First is thunderstorm, the fog a few weeks later. <laughs> the fog. I love the fog, yeah. Uh, they got the four points against Essendon in round 20. They managed to escape with a 20-point win over the Demons because of their superior strength and dominance of Ian Stewart. Um, in between the last, I think, round 21 and 22, um, the Tigers' president died whilst in office. Ray Dunn passed away on August the 26th, wow. 1972. In the final game of the season, the Tigers went into the game against Geelong overconfident and were lucky that the Cats kicked inaccurately. Stewart again best on ground, Tigers scraping in by eight points. So they seem to really, as you said there, like they've got these these periods of time where they put the game away and then they're sort of like... Would you call that inconsistent? You would, yeah, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, and obviously it's enough to get the job done, but you'd still be thinking there's a little bit of worry there coming into finals. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So the lead goal kicker for the Tigers in 71 was... was Barry Richardson? Royce Hart. Okay, do you have Barry Richardson's goals there? I do, 50. So he kicked two goals in the first 12 games. So he kicked, what, 48 in the, in the last 12. That's pretty good. Yeah, it kind of justifies him moving there, doesn't yeah, it? It's, yeah, what's it's averaging four after that. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. So yeah, uh, KB kicked 53. Royce Hart, though, 40, uh, 59. And the winner of the Jack Dyer medal in 1971... Ian Stewart was Ian Stewart yeah pretty good for a new club it's not bad is it Saints might not have been thinking they got the best of that deal after that mm. 
especially when we're about to talk about how the Saints went. Oh, we know Billy Barrett went to Carlton, so let's find out why. Yeah, exactly. So the Saints, yeah, sitting second on the ladder there with, again, 16 wins and six losses. The only thing uh, keeping them and Richmond apart was that percentage, which St Kilda had a whopping 140%. That's a big difference. Yeah, huge, yep. huge. So this year, uh, captained by Ross Smith. Captained by Ross Smith again for the second year, and coached, of course, by uh, Jeansy. Yes, Yabby Jeans. Uh, debutants include Rod Galt and Shane Grambo. Um, but let's get stuck into this Billy Barrett issue. Yeah, here. okay. So he he chose to go to St Kilda. He wanted to go there. He wanted to leave Richmond. Yes. Yeah. Um, he was. I think he got sick of. Uh, Tommy Hafey and his style of coaching. He just wanted a bit of a fresh change, fresh yep. start. Um, and he played really well in the first game of the season against the Cats. He kicked three goals. Um, Saints won by 94 points at Cardinia. Trevor Pays best on ground. He's going well. Great. But in his second game against North Melbourne at Moorabbin, Bill Barrett infuriated his coach, Alan Jeans, so much that he was benched at half-time. The pair then clashed in the rooms afterwards and Barrett walked out. What was this situation? What happened? Saints won by won, won the game by twenty eight. He just wasn't following instruction. Ah, okay. Like he wants to be play. He wants to play a certain way, and Barrett was used to just doing his own thing. Yeah. And Jeans wasn't obviously happy with that. So it turns so out, I dragged him. Turns out Hafey actually maybe not so bad. Yeah, and we're still in the situation Barrett. here where if you get if you get replaced, you, can't you don't go, go back, back on. on. Yeah. Yep. Um, for round three, Barrett wasn't named in the senior side or the reserves. By the Saturday of the of the game, Barrett had engaged lawyers. <laughs> To get him out. To get him, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know, to question why he was not playing or something like that. Um, the frustrating thing being they were playing Richmond in that game and Ian Stewart was best on ground as yeah, the Tigers won. Oh, but he effectively walked out. He didn't play for the Saints again, so he played two games. That's all they got, that's all they got for Ian Stewart. That's just... St Kilda. Yeah. Uh, just it? St Kilda. Uh, they lost their next three games. Saints. But in round six, Carl Diderich returned to the team from injury to face the Bombers. Ross Smith had 38 disposals, led the Saints to a 44-point victory, although it should have been more as they kicked 14 goals, 25. They beat the Lions easily, but it was really a win over the Pies that kick-started their season. Alan Davis, the star, kicking 10 goals, four. Joining elite company there, kicking 10 goals against the Pies. Um, with Brian Minot dominant around the ground, the Saints won by 47. A loss to Melbourne the following week by three points upset the apple cart, but they took their frustration out on South Melbourne. Uh, Carl Ditterich absolutely dominant with 28 disposals, four goals, two, 15 hit out, Saints won by 71. Then they had a percentage-boosting win over both the Cats and the Dogs. John Bonney, the star for the Saints against the Cats, as the Saints, Saints defence held the Cats to just three goals for the whole game. Then Ross Smith led the way against North, again the tight defence holding the Roos to just one goal in the final quarter. Losses to fellow finals aspirants Hawthorne and Richmond helped saw them drop to sixth. But they re- recovered, starting with a rare win over Carlton. Smith, Moran and Davis leading the way. They kept Essendon goalless in the first quarter at Windy Hill to smash the Bombers. They beat a feisty Fitzroy team, kept Collingwood to one second-half goal uh, to beat them for the second time in the season, and they had convincing wins over Melbourne and South to close the season in style. Round 22, Alan Davis had a quiet match at Footscray, where he famously raised the ire of coach Alan Ginge while eating a violet crumble as he sat on the bench. <laughs> the Saints won by 16. Big man Carl Diderich um, 
was the main man for the Saints. Uh, and they headed into the finals, winning seven games in a row, sitting second on the ladder with a double chance. So Saints looking good, even without Ian Stewart. Yeah, can you imagine how good they'd be looking with him? Yeah, or, or Billy Barrett. Or Billy, oh, yeah, or that, Billy Barrett yeah. actually playing. That's why yeah. I think he's the new Dick Condon. He's just... Just all over just, the place. So much talent just all over the place. Yeah. So, uh, so the Saints, the lead goal kicker down uh, at Moorabbin? No. Yes. Yes, yes Moorabbin now still, yeah. Yes. It was... Sorry. The lead goal kicker down at Moorabbin was Alan Davis with 70. And the Trevor Barker Award in 1971 went to Bill Barrett. No, it's <laughs> not. It went to Ross Smith for the second yeah, time. Yeah, Bill Barrett. His two games were so good. <laughs> They're just amazing. I mean, if um, if it was the championship of the Colony Medal, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so that takes us to the very top of the ladder, with 19 wins and three losses, and an outstanding percentage of 153.7. We have those mighty flying walks. Uh, so, captained by David Parkin and coached by. Uh, by John Kennedy, of course. Of course. Yes. So, um, before I get sucked into the Hawks, and there's a bit to talk about, shout out to uh, Peter Haby, uh, who put together a book called Kennedy's Commandos, The Story of the 71 Hawks. Oh, nice. Uh, also, Rachel Bradshaw and Richard Aislop. Aislop, sorry. They sent me a copy of this um, when we were doing research for it. Very comprehensive. So, I've got a lot of stuff to talk about here with the Hawks. But Great. Because it's, another, because it's a split episode, I feel like I can indulge a bit here for the Hawks supporters. Absolutely. Uh, so pre-season, the club took the unusual... Surely they're the only ones listening by now, True. right? Yeah. Yep. Debutants include Robert Day and Michael Moncrief. Um, in the pre-season, the club took a 14-day cruise around the South Pacific. Delightful. As a way to help the team bond. Perfect. Yeah. What a time. Yeah. All right, so let's get stuck into this season. In round one, they inflicted Essendon's first opening round loss at Windy Hill in 41 years, winning by four goals. Oh. Yeah, disappointing. In round two, 11 goals to four after quarter time against Fitzroy saw the Hawks home by 44 points. Um, Lou Richard said of this win that Hawthorne reminded him of Joe Frazier, having no style, no class, as rough as bags, as ugly as sin, but fit, game, walking up all the time and finally winning. What a great analogy. <laughs> this is their 14th straight win over the Lions, which was their current longest winning streak against any other team. The Hawks then fought out close matches against Geelong to win by eight points. And in this win, uh, Peter Hudson only kicked one. What? But he made amends the following week against St Kilda, booting seven as the Hawks thumped the Saints by the, to the tune of 58 points to earn their first ever win at Moorabbin. In round five, the Hawks began a run of 13 consecutive wins over South Melbourne with a 48-point win at VFL Park. However, it signalled the end of the Hawks' winning start to the year as the club faltered against Footscray, going down at Western Oval in round six by six points, despite having four more scoring shots. Uh, Richmond were in fourth spot coming into seventh, and Hawthorne had beaten the Tigers only once in the previous 11 encounters. However, uh, <laughs> however, um, the media promoted this as Peter Crimmins' 100th game. Okay. It was actually his 90th game. Um, and not even a 10-goal haul from Hudson could remove his, him from best on-field honours. A 7-5 to no-score opening quarter, Hudson kicking four of them, did the damage. Crimmins was absolutely dominant in his, in his 90th match, <laughs> uh, despite some thuggish, thuggish attention from Kevin Sheedy. And this was the beginning of an 11-game winning streak. Hudson's sixth goal was his 576th goal, which saw him break the club record previously held by John Peck. Oh, wow. In round eight, they smashed the Kangaroos by 95 points to go to the top of the ladder. 
was so lopsided that three-quarter time they were 114 points ahead and only took their foot off the pedal in the last quarter. Um, Hudson bagged seven. The Hawks kicked 10 goals four to a point in the third quarter. Um, and, yeah, they, they pretty much stay on top of the ladder from this point forward. Well, of course. The following week at Princess Park, Hawthorne humiliated the reigning Premier's Carlton, keeping them to four goals and winning by an even ten. Hudson snagged another five, while Lee Matthews booted four to be best on ground. In round ten, they took on third place Collingwood, but the Hawks were in untouchable form and were never troubled, kicking away to a 52-point win. The only, only time the Hawks were bothered was when a Collingwood supporter threw a rolled-up streamer that struck Hudson on the face. Apparently it was a child who didn't know it had to be unfolded. You know the stream? Yeah. You, you, yeah. You, unf- yeah. you hold um, one in and throw the yeah, other. Yeah, so yeah. he just threw the whole thing and hit Hudson in the face. Um, <laughs> so that child wrote an apology letter to Hudson. That's very sweet. Uh, for his part, Hudson kicked five goals, including his 50th of the season and also his 500th career goal. Somewhat bitterly, though, Pius President said afterwards that uh, they had been beaten on a substandard ground on which, they had, on, on which the Hawks will not spend any money. Oh. Yeah. Collingwood. Yeah. The halfway halfway mark of the season, it was a top-of-the-table clash. Hawthorne and Melbourne. Hawks got the chockies there by 20 points at the MCG. Uh, Next week, Hudson bagged another six as the Hawks down Essendon by 33 points at Glen Ferry uh, in a game that had a massive brawl when Essendon's Eddie Lake crashed into Hawk Kevin Heath. Essendon took it right up to the Hawks afterwards and it took Lee Matthews, Don Scott and Peter Crimmins to earn the Hawks their win. Hudson slotted a further nine the next week against Fitzroy and seven the week after against Geelong as the, cat, the Hawks just kept winning. Yep, they just couldn't be stopped. Peter Hudson show. Um, in round 15, the side hosted third place St Kilda. And while the Hawks trailed at halftime, a 13-goal second half saw them home by 23 points. Hudson kicking 12, actually 12 goals straight in what was described as a tough and hard-tackling game with both sides tearing in with a ton of physical power. 12 wow. straight. After kicking six in a 49-point win over South in round 16, um, a side note to this game was a terrible day had by sentiment Jeff Angus of Hawks. He copped the knock to his right eye, and it, in the same passage of play, he strained ligaments in his ankle, forcing him off. To make matters worse, someone stole his bright orange Tirana GT from the car park during the game. No! Yeah. Oh, that is devastating. I don't know if he got it back. I hope he did. Hopefully. Uh, Hudson booted the further nine the next week as the Hawks had a new record-winning margin by beating Footscray by 115 points. This was Peter Crimmins' 100th game. <laughs> it was Hudson... Hudson kicked his 100th goal and it was their first 100-point win. Wow. So the, the game of hundreds. Bit of numerology there. Yeah, it was, yeah. Just, it was Hudson's third goal was his 100th. The Hawks, the Hawks' bubble was burst the following week with a loss to the Tigers in a match described as worthy of a finals game. Hudson kicked six more as the Hawks returned to form the next week, slaughtering North Melbourne by 92 points at Glen Ferry. Their score of 23 goals, 16, 154 was the identical to their score two weeks earlier against the Dogs. Yeah, so they're, they're absolutely putting the teams away. Yeah, well, you, what was their percentage? 153. Yeah. So, yeah. The team suffered another lapse as Carlton enjoyed a 39-point win at Glen Ferry. Uh, in round 21, a crowd of 41,312 stacked into Victoria Park to see the top teams clash. Collingwood hadn't lost a home game in two seasons. Uh, well. Also in the lead-up, apparently Carlton had promised the Hawks a collective $1,000 to share between them should they beat Collingwood. Really? Yeah. Carlton had? Because, if, well, if Carlton had oh. beaten... If Carlton had won the Fog game, it would have set up a match with Collingwood the next week to set to, to, to see who made fourth spot. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't matter in the end anyway, but apparently they did pay up. Um, Hudson went into the game with 121 goals while McKenna was on 120. 
So this is also decide the common medal. Yes. After an even first half, the Hawks broke free in the third quarter, slamming on six goals, nine to two goals, in an awesome display of power football. Hudson kicked nine to McKenna's six, an inaccurate Peter, uh, sorry, an inaccurate Lee Matthews snagged three goals, eight, as the Hawks won by thirty-five points. Crimmins, Heath, Knights joined Hudson and Matthews in the best players. And then Hudson rounded out the home and away season with a haul of ten goals, as the Hawks pummeled Melbourne by fifty-nine points at Glenferry Oval. I mean, it's safe to say that. Peter Hudson's won the uh, the goal kicking at the Hawks. Here. You'd imagine so, wouldn't you? Um, so 140 goals, 69 behinds. His season went like this: five, four, one, seven, five, three, ten, seven, five, 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 six, nine, seven, twelve, six, nine, six, six, three, nine, ten. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, 140 for the season. Yeah. yeah. And some other. Stats before you get stuck into yep. the best and fairest. First team to ever win 19 games in a season. Yeah, okay, yep. yes. I mean, because there's extra rounds. Extra so rounds, that of makes course. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep. therefore, the points for 2,460 is the most points ever scored by a team as well. To this day? Yeah. Oh, no, so to this point. To this point, yeah, yep. okay, yeah. I mean, it makes sense because there's extra rounds. Yes. And they've got Peter Hudson bagging, bagging. 40 goals. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Mental. So, obviously, Hutto kicked uh, 140 for the season, 150 for the full season. Yes. Uh, which is even more impressive when you look at... Second on that list is Lee Matthews with 43. Yeah. And then, after that, we had Bob Kitty and Peter Crimmins. So, some very good goal kickers there. And the Peter Crimmins medal in 1971 went to Lee Matthews. Yeah, he had a, he had a great year, breakout year for yeah, Lee. with David Park in second and Peter Crimmins third. Nice. Um, it's no surprise then that Cole's goals was Hawthorne with 355 goals. Of course. Now, Charlie, before we head to finals, let's check in with Moz here to hear about the Brownlow. The Brownlow down low with Moz. Ian Stewart won his third Brownlow this season, still with his tongue between his lips. But this time he didn't win with St Kilda. St Kilda had traded Stewart for Richmond's Billy Barrett at the end of the 1970 season. To St Kilda's embarrassment, Barrett only played two games uh, in 71, while Stewart went on to win his third Brownlow for Richmond. He became the fourth player to win three Brownlows and the first to win Brownlows at two different clubs. Stewart said in an interview that having champions like Daryl Baldock and Royce Hart playing with him was enormously helpful. He said it was invaluable, insurmountable to be able to come out of the centre and see them. Stewart polled in nine games in 71. He received six times three votes and three times one vote, totaling 21 votes. There were three runners-up who all finished with 18 votes and they were Essendon's Barry Davis, Hawthorne's Peter Hudson and St Kilda's John McIntosh. All right, Charlie, finals time. It is finals time. All righty. So the first uh, semi-final was between Richmond and Collingwood in front of 99,771 people and a very even first quarter to get us started. Yeah, so before we get into that, Collingwood came into this game quite unsettled. I mean, we know their captaincy was being disputed. Yeah. Um, things were a bit up in the air. So the first quarter was tense around the packs. The Tigers, Tigers held a narrow three-point lead at quarter time. But in the second term, the Tigers found their feet and using the wits of the MCG, they swept to a handy lead. Um, Collingwood unfortunately lost Wayne Richardson and Lee Adamson in the first half to injury. Oh. But they hung in there by 21, but Wayne Richardson's a big loss. Big loss, yeah. 
But Bob Rose must have made some inspirational pleas at halftime as the Pies came out at full flight. Len Thompson coming on and was in complete control in the air. And the Pies stormed back to take the lead. It would have held it too if it weren't for some late goals kicked by Neil Balm for the Tigers. Mm. The Tigers then built on their lead in the last quarter while yeah, Barry so Richardson you, shut Peter McKenna out of the game. So it was only it was there were two points in it at three quarter time. Yeah, it got very close again. About seven goals to three points saw the Tigers earn a fifty-one point victory in the last quarter. Seven goals to three points—that's huge. Yeah. yeah. So Richmond winning out, running out winners there. Eight, eighteen, thirteen, one hundred and twenty-one to eleven, eleven, seventy-seven. Which takes us to that second semi against Hawthorne and St Kilda in front of another massive crowd, just under 100 again, 99,822. Yeah, an epic clash this was. Very good game. Uh, Hawks had the better start, albeit an inaccurate one, leading 2-7 to 1-4 at quarter time. A burst of power football saw the Hawks establish a handy lead in the second quarter, kicking 6-4 to 3-1. They extended this to about 40 points just at three-quarter time, but the Saints hit back in the final quarter. Although things did look disastrous for the Saints when McIntosh left the field clutching his knee early in the last quarter, but suddenly the Saints shook off the hesitancy and began to function as a team. Brian Minot got on top in the ruck and the Saints went forward for a goal to the effervescent Stephen Ray. St Kilda dominated the general play and stormed the goals. Um, Barry Breen converted a long shot and another by Bonnie. And then the transformation was complete when Barry Lawrence pounced on the ball and goal to put the Saints within five points. Seven minutes left. Um, the Saints had a real chance of snatching victory. Um, the atmosphere around the ground was electric as St Kilda forced the ball into the goal square where Barry Lawrence tried to soccer off the ground, but it hit the post. Um, Pays also added a point and then the siren sounded, signalling the Hawks a two-point lead. If the game had gone any longer, John Kennedy said that they would have lost. And I mean, although the Hawks won, he wasn't very happy. Yeah. The Hawks had only had one, two in the final term and were lucky the Saints kicked an inaccurate five goals, nine um, to make the final score 90-88. to 88. Yes, 12-18 to 12-16. Yeah, Hudson kicked his seventh to take his season tally to 147. Uh, Elmar Taylor kicked three. Well, good players included Bruce Stevenson, David Park and Don Scott. Um, but the happy mood was marred by the injury to 19-year-old centre-half back Peter Knights, who would be oh. uh, now out for the rest of the season missing the grand final. That's a big loss. Huge loss. So uh, that is huge. And that, yeah, that would be... Uh, Quaking Hawthorne in their boots a little bit there because they've been very. Yeah, they'd be hoping, uh, well, one of Richmond or St Kilda, who would you prefer? Well, that's it. They lost to Richmond late in the yeah. season, didn't they? So, very interesting. So, in front of 102,494 people for that prelim, we had St Kilda coming up against Richmond. And uh, Richmond got out to an early lead. Look, 12 points at quarter time. There were four lead changes in the second term, with the Saints being quite inaccurate. The Tigers took a slender one point lead into half time. But coach Alan Jean's master plan to topple the Tigers saw a double-teaming tactic on Kevin Bartlett and the switch of Carl Ditterich to centre-half forward in the third term, which proved to be the match winner, with Ditterich pulling down big marks despite the weather uh, as he helped set up Davis, Davis for six goals. Uh, quite a turnaround from Alan Davis with his uh, Violet Crumble antics a few weeks earlier. Saints ran away to a 30-point win. Ditterich was unstoppable for the Saints and Davis was the match winner. This was also Tommy Hafey's first loss in the finals as coach. Oh, really? Yeah. So there you go. So we've got, uh, yes, yeah, St Kilda running out winners, 16-12-108 to Richmond's 12-6-78. Yes. Um, so that gets us to the grand final. Now, before we talk about the grand final, um, 1971, I believe, was the first time the football grand final marathon was on TV the night before. Oh, really? I think so, yeah. As far as my records have shown in my research, I'm pretty sure 71 was the first year. 
That they shot, yeah, nice. They showed all the replays, so they wouldn't have much of a bank of stuff, really, would they? No, that's but they probably yeah. want to reshow the nineteen seventy grand final. So, yeah, so it's a pretty marathon. Yeah, an institution which um, we no longer have. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. I used to always try to stay up and watch, and I'd never succeeded. No, of course not. It's mental. Yeah. All right, Charlie. It's time to boot up that way back when machine. <sighs> Here we go. Talking to the David Parkin. So, Captain um, crowd at this uh, this final. The crowd at the grand final was 118,192. Yes, huge. Huge. Not quite the 120 from last season, no. but still pretty, pretty close. Welcome, David Park and captain of Hawthorne today. Been a long wait, hasn't it? Certainly has. From the disappointment of 1963... For the lean years we spent at the bottom of the ladder, today is just a dream come true. Mate, we wanted to talk about today's match, obviously, but before we do that, we uh, wanted to talk to you about John Kennedy's commando course. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It is probably what won the game for us today. If you want to trace it all back, it boils down to this. If you're going to climb Mount Everest, you must put in severe preparation. In football terms... This means that the longer a season is, the longer the training needed. It was good fun. The boys enjoy it. Builds fitness and the team spirit at the same time. Um, that team spirit was really what helped you this season, wasn't it? You seemed to take everything before you. Yeah, we did. After a few disappointing years, we knew this was the season we just had to make the top four. But as the season kept going, we grew in confidence. And players like Kelvin Moore and young Al Martello really came on in leaps and bounds. Now, mate, well, that had you finishing the season with a record 19 wins and three losses, finishing on top for the third time in the club's history. It was a credit to the players, coaching staff, everyone, that we were able to complete a fantastic season. But finals is a different type of football. Ah, oh, it is indeed. And as soon as that semi-final began, we realised that St Kilda just came at us with everything. Now, that game was a tight, scrappy affair, and the Saints came back late to give you a bit of a scare, but you won through to today with that two-point win. We did, but I'll tell you, the mood in the rooms wasn't as if we'd won through to the grand final. Kennedy was anything but happy with our performance. There was no celebration, and the players were not allowed to sing the club song. But you lost Peter Knights as well, and that was a big blow. He was devastated. Hopefully the young fella gets his chance at a flag one day. So, mate, if Kennedy was in a mood after that semi-final win, what was he like before the game today? Can you give us a bit of an insight into the atmosphere? He had softened over the two weeks off. So today he was uh, much better. But as you alluded to earlier, it's been a while since our last premiership. Everyone was pretty keyed up. And, of course, St Kilda had been our arch rivals throughout the year. Of course, it was a great challenge trying to win a second premiership for Hawthorne. How did you feel about taking on St Kilda for the fourth time this season? We had some classic games against the Saints. You only have to look at the scores from two weeks ago. Alan Jeans is able to prepare them very well. In the semi-final, we spent a lot of time playing St Kilda without the ball. The first quarter was just ruthless. Blokes were going down like nine pins. We were lucky to hang on by two points. So as for today, we expected much the same. Uh, what was the message from, uh, from the coach pre-game? He just remained the same. No different from a normal home and away match. 
he reiterated that there was going to be a lot of pressure, players were going to be nervous, so just get the ball and kick it. Pretty simple. And tactically? Just get the ball down as quickly as possible. Get that backman out of position and let Hudson or whoever kick the goals. Now, did the thought of rain today worry you at all? Not in the slightest. It probably evened up the teams. When you think about Glen Ferry Oval and Moorabbin, they're both always rain-affected. So no team had an advantage. And that crowd today was another huge one. 118,000 people crammed into the MCG. That's a big crowd. It was like being sucked into a vortex. We ran onto the ground and the roar was just amazing. Because the fans were just so passionate. Uh, tell us, was uh, playing that first quarter as brutal as it looked from up here? Absolutely. The first 10 to 15 minutes of today's game was the fiercest game I'd ever played in. Not nasty, apart from Hutto being cracked, but people running straight at the ball, both sides. Tough footy. And Hudson started well. He did. Two goals early, which meant that he only needed one to equal the record and another to break it with three quarters to go. But... Yeah, but I'm sure you saw what Cowboy Neil did. Clobbed him around the ear. He was pretty groggy as a result. Um, and we hear this might have been premeditated as well. Yeah, we heard whispers that Cowboy Neil had joked that Hutto couldn't do much damage if he was unconscious. But there was nothing else earlier to suggest that this was true. It seemed to be just tough everywhere. Yeah, in the end, I think it was a spur-of-the-moment thing that Cowboy did. And I'm sure with our champion goal-kicking machine down, the Saints thought they were in with a big chance. So you led by one point at quarter time. The second quarter was much the same as the first. Yeah, but the game was more settled. Crumet kicked a nice early goal, but as the rain poured down harder and harder over the next 20 minutes or so, that game was reduced to a battle of the defences. And the Saints just seemed to be handling the ball on the ground a little bit better. Well, I suppose a little bit, but eventually the weight of St Kilda's forward thrust paid off. And they kicked two quick goals to go eight points ahead, I think, I think it was. Uh, but you yourself, you threw yourself into the fray. Uh, you seemed to be involved in everything. And then Hutto, he earned a free kick. Yeah, kicked his 150th goal of the year and put us within two points at the break. So at halftime, is it fair to say that there was a fair bit to do? Certainly. Robert Day was walking around the rooms. Apparently he thought it was Sunday. So Ray Wilson came on to replace him, which meant both our reserves were on the field. Ken Beck came on for Les Hawken earlier in the match. And uh, how was Hutto? Oh, he was having his ears sewn back on by the dock. Now, the third quarter there, it just wasn't the Hawks' quarter. Can you explain the fall off the team experienced, which uh, saw Saint, the Saints then get back on top? Yeah, within seconds of the game where he started, they kicked a quick goal. And we were in all sorts of bother. Lawrence had shut down Hutto and our heads were starting to drop. Uh, but not for Lee Matthews. He seemed to take it upon himself to do something about this, didn't he? Among others, Lee ran straight through Stuart Trott, leaving him bloodied and staggering. And during that quarter, it's fair to say, uh, Diderich was on fire. Ray Wilson was uh, the one who really put his body on the line, collecting him there. It was very brave. He charged across and probably saved the goal. The Saints were 28 points up late in the quarter. But 28 points is very different to 20. Yeah, we were lucky that Leon Rice kicked the goal late to give us some hope. Would have been nice if those late behinds were goals as well. Now, so at three-quarter time, you were behind 20 points down. Uh, can you remember what uh, the coach told the boys to try and motivate you and get you all back in the game for that last quarter? Well, 
John talked about giving it our best, attacking the ball, never giving up. And if we were going to go down, we'd to go down in style. One of the key things about John Kennedy is that he is not a quitter. But that sounds like he's conceded. That's what Don Scott thought too. He called us back in and said, what is he, he said, what is he talking about? We can win this one. Let's jump in. We're not going to lose. We're going to win. Well, Don Scott was definitely the instigator there, wasn't he? My word. At the first centre bounce, he won the contest, punched the ball to centre forward, and within a minute, I think Matthews kicked a goal, and not long after, Bob Ketty scored another, and we knew we were right in it. Now let's talk about the positional move of Peter Hudson to centre-half forward and Bob Ketty to full forward. It seemed like a masterstroke. With what happened to Hutto in the first quarter, he wasn't really doing much, just scratching around in the forward line. So it was a ploy to try and get Ketty involved more and get a kick or two. Well, Ketty d- didn't just get a kick or two, did he? Nah, he was instrumental in that last quarter. After Matthews kicked that long bomb, we were only three goals down, and we started to believe. Ketty just attacked everything, and to his credit, ended up with four. Leading goal scorer on the ground, I think. And he kicked the goal that finally put you in front. He did, but then there were more goals. Before we realised it, we'd kicked seven in a row, I think. Now, you guys were just about home, but while he was going on, there was another game within this game. So Peter Hudson was on 150 goals, equal with Bob Pratt. How did he blow those opportunities to kick one more, especially kicking into the man on the mark? Well, the thing more than Hutto breaking the record was that we needed to kick one of those goals to sew the game up. With each of those three he missed, it was more important to the team than his individual form. The team was on a roll, and lucky for Hutto, that as he was missing them, Bob Ketty was tidying them up for him. But come on, he was right in front and completely missed, kicking into the man on the mark, Barry Lawrence. Well, that's how you know he wasn't right. Hutto never misses. He must have been destined. He mustn't have been. He mustn't have been destined to break that record. So he did actually kick his hundred. 151st goal? Yeah, but it was disallowed. Ketty gave it over the top, but the umpire had already called time on. Fair enough. I actually think Hutto would be all right with sharing the record with Bob Pratt. Now, the, the Saints just wouldn't go away, would they? No, we got to almost a three-goal lead. And just about thought it was enough, but they got a few late ones to give them some hope. And then Barry Breen kicked his third, and the Saints were within seven points. Yeah, the last quarter just seemed to go forever. But we just held up. It was probably only three minutes, but it felt like 30. And we just held the Saints out, and then the siren went, and we had won the game. I'm sure you must have felt a deep feeling of relief here. Absolutely. To win what is probably the most brutal, bruising game I've been in and be rewarded with the Premiership, it's extremely satisfying. So, mate, you had that interesting moment with the Premiership Cup. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, during the game, I tried tried to tackle John Bonney and I ripped the top of my finger as I grabbed his shorts. You know, and the little metal bracketless shorts have. So, after the game, as you know, the cup has to be collected from the grandstand. I collected the cup, but on re-entering the field for the lap of honour, I caught my finger on the edge of the cup, which, which made me drop it. Was there much damage? Yeah, the filigree work was all smashed. It'll probably need to get fixed up. So in your mind, Dave, uh, who were the key contributors today? Well, 
Bob Keddie's last quarter when Hudson was out of full forward was absolutely phenomenal. He hardly had a kick all day then. Just cut loose for us in the last quarter and won the game for us off his own boot. Don Scott as well, and Norm Bussell, who stepped into centre-half back to replace Peter Knights. You know, I think everyone around the club was worried that we'd miss Knightsy. But Norm Bussell turned in a fantastic game at centre-half back and played the game of his life. Crimo was great too. Now, Lee Matthews really rose to the occasion in that last quarter, really emerging as a genuine star on the biggest stage. How did you see his game today? Uh, it was typical of Lee. really had some good games throughout the season. And it was the likes of him, Peter Knights and others who have taken this next step in their careers that have enabled us to have the season we did. And, mate, want to give you this opportunity. Any final words you'd like to say to everyone? Look, I might be talking selfishly, but for me, it was my crowning moment. The captain of premiership team, and to do it as we did, under real pressure at the finish, no doubt captaining today's side will sit in my memory as my number one football moment. The most joyful moment in my football career, bar none. And how will you be celebrating? Uh, we are off to a team dinner at Isabella's in the city, and I'm sure we'll head back to Glen Ferry to celebrate the win with the faithful. Oh, mate, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. You're most welcome. Goodbye now. Right, there you go, Parco. Really, Huge. Really familiar sounding voice. Yeah. Um, all right, some stats from that game. Goals to the Hawks. We've got Keddie with four, Hudson three, Crimo two, singles to Lee Matthews, Leon Rice and Don Scott. For the Saints, John Bonney three, Barry Breen three, singles to Davis, Manzi, Ross Smith, uh, Theodore Stephen and Stuart Trott. Best for the Hawks were Don Scott, Bob Keddy, Lee Matthews, Calvin Moore and Peter Crimmins. What a game. What a match. I can't believe David Park can drop the Premiership Cup. I <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, Some other results here as well in the reserves. Richmond defeated Essendon 98-66 to and the under-19s Melbourne defeated Essendon 123-110 to come on the uh, McClellan Trophy went to the Hawks uh, but it wasn't all over for the Hawks they had a few more games to play ah. so a week after they travelled to Adelaide to take on the SANFL Premier's North Adelaide in the uh, back into that traditional champion of Australia yes. match yep. uh, with the Hawks winning this match uh, quite comfortably uh, calling a game, 90, 91 to 67. Calling a game between Victoria and South Australia champion of Australia is kind of like the baseball in America being called the World Series, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> um, And then a week later, there was also, they played in Perth in the Poly Farmer Tribute Knockout Tournament. Oh. So Poly Farmer was retiring. He yep. had been captain coaching. Um, he was retiring. So they invited uh, eight teams, I think. To participate in this little mini knockout Eight tournament across all the different tournaments in uh, all the different comps in Australia. Yeah, so they had Richmond and Hawthorne. They had invited St Kilda, but they knocked it back. So Richmond, Hawthorne, North Adelaide, Port Adelaide, East Perth, West Perth, East Fremantle, and Claremont. Okay. So the Hawks, uh, they in the first game they beat. So they were playing two 25-minute halves. So it was just a two-day tournament. Uh, they beat East Perth 49 to 36 in the first game, so 46 to 36. They then knocked out West Perth in the second game 40 to 13, and in the final, they knocked out Claremont 75 to 29 to, uh, to, I guess, declare themselves the best club in Australia. There you go. Good on them. Um, other points of interest as well. So years after this, in the 2010s, in fact, John Kennedy couldn't sleep, uh, and he decided to stay up and watch a replay of the 1971 decider. He then decided to ring Don Scott. And to let him know he'd played a really good game. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. 
Interesting stat as well. For the third year in a row, the team trailing at three-quarter time in the grand final had won. won. Yeah. The Hawks' rise from eighth in 1970 to first in 71 was the equal biggest rise of any team from one season to the next, equal to Essendon's team of 45 to 46. Um, and I just want to find your thoughts. Um, Peter Hudson not breaking Bob Pratt's record. I think, it's, it. I think, well, he equaled it. He didn't yeah. beat it. I think it's good. So do I. Yeah, and, and talking to Peter Hudson, like interviews with him subsequently, he's like, I'm glad I didn't break it. I'm glad we share it. I, I didn't want to be the one to have to break it. Because it doesn't seem fair either that, Hud, that um, Bob Pratt played, I think it was 21 games in an 18-round season. Yeah. Whereas Hudson had played 24 games. So, Well, it's almost like... Different errors. The, yeah, well, the different error thing is always something you... You can't quantify different errors, but you can quantify the amount of games. Yes. Right? So even if he'd broken it, if he had broken it, you would still be having this conversation. Yes. But the fact that they're equal, it almost makes them seem more equal than if it had been broken, if you know what, like... Yeah. If Hutto had broken it, I still feel like the comp people would be saying, oh, but Pratt... Uh, was has a better has average a better per average game, or whatever. Yeah. Whereas the fact that they're on the same, it's like yeah, they're they, they're as good as each other. Yeah. So, so I quite like it. I think it's good. Yeah, he didn't it's break nice. It. He had so many chances as well. Yeah, kicking into the man on the mark. Yeah, unbelievable. And, and playing on, but the umpire had to call him back. So technically, he kicked his 151st, but it was because the umpire had called time had on to, to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's good. Yeah. Um, other note was that uh, after the finals campaign, Collingwood coach Bob Rose quit. Yes. So isn't it interesting that a year after 1970 Grand Final, both coaches, so Ron Barassi and Bob Rose, have both left their clubs? Yeah. One year after both have played in the Grand Final. That's very interesting. Yeah. All right, Charlie, let's let's wrap this bad boy up. All right, let's do it. Who won the Who won the wooden spoon? Wooden spoon was North Melbourne. South Melbourne. South Melbourne. Sorry. South. The South other Melbourne. end. <laughs> uh who won the Brownlow? Brownlow was Ian Stewart with his third Brownlow medal. From Richmond. Yes, so... Uh, from Richmond, yes. Yes. First player to win three, but for different for clubs. For different clubs, yes. yes. Um, 21 votes, unbelievable. The common medalist, Charlie? The common medalist was, of course, Peter Hudson with 140 140 goals. in the season regular, yes. Yes, and our premiership team was uh, was Hawthorne of course winning of course. their second premiership being St Kilda by seven points jeez that'd be devastating as a St Kilda supporter uh, yeah and I thought that looking at the things but by all accounts Hawthorne should have won the game oh, it was yeah. theirs to lose they had a dominant season for them not to win would have been a tra- travesty as well I mean at this stage coming into it both teams had only won one flag yes and so now the Hawks have got two but now you look so at them now in 2022 you know, God, the you Hawks wish, have yeah, won too many won yeah yeah, yeah. Um, retrospective rising star. Oh, I love it. Goes to David Clark of Geelong. Okay. Just edging out Keith Gregg of North and Michael Woolner of Geelong also. The Coulthard Shield, the highest score was Collingwood 30 goal, 2200. Against bo- who? I don't know, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, most behinds was Peter McKenna, 78 for the season, one plus and 79 for the season. We also have a mark of the year. For 1971. Really? According to a website I found, Alex Ruskulich of uh, Fitzroy. Okay. I couldn't find footage of it, but credited with Mark of the Year. Apparently it was a ripper. Ripper. Um, all right, premiership list as of 1971, Charlie. We've got Collingwood with 13, Essendon 12, Melbourne 12, Carlton 10, Fitzroy 8, Richmond 7, Geelong 6, South Melbourne 3, Hawthorne 2, 
Footscray 1, St Kilda 1. Just waiting for North. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? Yep. Here's some retirees as well from 1971. Bobby Skilton. Oh. 237 games, 412 goals, three Brownlows. One of my favourites, I've got to say. How many possessions? <laughs> <laughs> well, only half his career had stats taken. That's true. Um, Bobby Skilton. I'd said that already. Serge Silvani. 239 games, 136 goals, two flags. Billy Goggin of Geelong, 248 games, 279 goals, one flag. Tony Polinelli of Geelong, 138 games, 63 goals, one flag. David Darcy of Footscray, 133 games, 47 goals. Bill Barrett, Richmond, St Kilda and Carlton, 134 games, 105 goals, two flags. John Newham of Fitzroy, 116 games, 89 goals. Ian Collins of Carlton, 161 games, 49 goals, one flag. And Don Jolly, umpire, 83 games, three finals, one grand final. Charlie, I'm going to give you the honour of choosing the best name oh, okay. for 1972, uh, 71 as well. It's got to be, uh, I don't want to pronounce this incorrectly, Leo Gronewegen. I hope that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I love it. Sweet. Lock it in. Beautiful. I feel very uh, privileged to have that uh, have that role. Mm. Well, Kaz didn't get back to me in time, so <laughs> it's yours. So that, that, that wraps up 1971 in a nutshell. Huge. Big season. Um, the last season of the Final Four as well. Yes, things are changing. Things are changing, just like they are on this podcast with our, uh, with our split well, episode. It. We've got to change with the times. Change with the times. That's it. So, yeah, 72 will be very interesting. See how it goes. No more night premiership to talk about, Timmy. Not for a while. No. We'll have a, have oh, it'll have come. A it'll come back. Yep. It will. But uh, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully Absolutely. you've enjoyed our split episode. And yes. Been able to to uh, enjoy that and and have a break in between. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm sure the Hawthorne supporters out there enjoyed having a bit more detail in the in those finalists for sure. Uh, so. Perfect. I'm looking forward to 72, Timmy. Yes, before we get to 72, though, we'll be releasing a special episode focusing on the club theme songs, which were recorded in early 1972. Yes, fantastic. Mm, can't wait. That's actually a really interesting story. I'm looking forward to talking about <laughs> it. Fantastic. Great. Uh, so, well, until then, hooroo. I've been Cause I've been everywhere, man I've been everywhere, man Across the deserts, bear, man I've breathed the mountain air, man I've travelled, I've had my chair, man I've been everywhere Been to Talamore, Seymour, Liz, Mormon, Lunabar, Nambor, Mooch, Tokyo, Mormon, Lillabar, Birdsville, Emmerville, Wallaville, Connor, Wano, Connor, Mine, Strathrine, Frostbine, Aladala, Darwin, Jean, Jean, Lillacrin, Mark, Dilla, Wallen, Billa, Burger, Villa, Cumber,